In the book of Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 14 through verse 16. The book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 16. Bible reads it so in the name of Jesus Christ. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. More emphasized verse 14, do all things without complaining uh, and disputing. When it says disputing, it's, it's not talking about disputing among each other, but disputing against God, complaining against God, you know. So do all things without complaining and disputing. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that you would help us Help me to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable. Give me the ability to be honest with the text. And may your people not just hear what thus saith the Lord, but they may put it into practice for our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to speak to you here tonight on the simple subject, the high cost of complaining, the high cost of complaint, high cost of complaint. So we live in a society that absolutely thrives on complaining. Um, and every generation seems to be giving birth to another generation of complainers. And the problem seems to be getting worse with each passing generation. And every parent say amen to that. How ironic that nations that seem to be more indulged and more advanced are the very ones that are leading the charge when it comes to complainers. There seems to be a correlation between how much people possess and how much complaining possesses them. Um, see, we, li we live in a culture where our young people are discontent about everything. They love to complain about everything. Nothing is ever the way they would like it. They go through life just not finding enjoyment in one thing. And this generation has actually resurrected the spirit of protest from the 60s and the 70s. And we protest everything nowadays. So much so that I read the other day that a group of students went to their professor at Harvard and said, we have a group that would like to protest. Do you know of any good causes? It's as if the protest is more important than the cause itself. That's the kind of generation we're living in, a generation of complainers. I was looking at uh, some info on this subject, uh, and according to the Gallup organization, negativity, which is often manifested in various forms, 
such as bickering, finger-pointing, gossip, and the biggest of them all, complaining, has cost the U.S. economy, or costs the U.S. economy every year, between 250 to $300 billion a year in lost productivity. And before you sit there and judge everyone else for their complaining, may I suggest that you, my friend, are not exempt from this problem. Many of you are saying, well, uh, absolutely not. That's, this is not for me. This is for you know who you're pointing at in your spirit right now. Um, I, I read somewhere that complaining is like bad breath. You only notice it in others. But you can't notice it on yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hallelujah. None of us are exempt from complaining. If you don't believe me, we complain about uh, traffic jams. I don't know if you have them out here, but um, how about fast drivers? But if there's anything worse than a fast driver, it's a slow driver. Mm. We complain about long lines and crying babies on a plane and uh, bad grammar. Amen. Any grammar police in the house? Let you know right now, I am the grammar chief of police. We complain about lukewarm food at a restaurant, misspelled names at Starbucks. We complain about the government. We complain about who I know this one's going to. If you are saying none of these apply to me, this one will. We complain about gas prices. Got you. People complain about washing dishes. Uh, people complain about people who wear Crocs in public. Especially if you wear them with tube socks. <laughs> oh, man. You belong at Walmart after 8 p.m. <laughs> See, we are by nature, we are complainers. And can I tell you that that same spirit has transferred into the church. Uh, services are too long or services are too short. And I don't like the way they decorate the stuff now. And Sunday night service, uh, no more of those. And too modern or too old school. Or we still have Sunday night services. Music is too loud or not loud enough, not enough ushers, or pastor's wife isn't as involved as I'd like, or pastor's wife is too involved. We just love to complain. There's a sense in which complaining is characteristic of our culture, but there's also a sense in which complaining is not unique to just our culture. As a matter of fact, complaining can be traced all the way back to the beginning. The first complaining human being who ever walked the earth was the first human being who ever walked the earth. And his name was Adam. And can I tell you what was the world's first complaint? God, that woman you gave me. Oh, there 
there are some legitimate. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kidding. But complaining didn't stop with Adam. Cain complained about God's judgment. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Moses complained to God in Exodus 5.22. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Aaron and Miriam also complained against Moses in Exodus 12.1 because of the Cushite woman whom Moses had married. Jonah complained because he was mad that God saved the Ninevites. And the Bible is just full from its inception of people who just knew how to complain and complain and complain. See, when the Bible talks about complaining, it informs us that there are two ways, two ways to come to God with our complaints. Uh, To be temporarily dissatisfied, it isn't inherently sinful. It is simply the expression of our human condition. As we await our glorification, there is dissatisfaction in this world. And that is normal. We, we get that. That's normal. The book of Romans chapter 8 verse 23 says that we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons. So we groan inwardly. There is a, an increasing dissatisfaction within us. See, groaning is an honest expression of what it's like to experience uh, to this, the trouble and the anguish and the grief of living in this fallen and futile world. God does not mind that kind of organic complaining over some things. All throughout the book of Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament, the psalmist models for us how to properly complain before God. In Psalms 142, uh, David said, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him, and I tell my trouble before Him. You see, the Psalms of Lament teach us that it is okay To go before God with our sorrows and with our anger and with our fear and with our longing and our confusion and desolation and our disappointments and even our depressions. However, after their complaint was all said and done, they also acknowledged that even though there is legitimate dissatisfaction in this world, They also trusted God's sovereignty and wisdom in spite of it. In almost every psalm of lament, after their complaint is finished, it calls the lamenting soul to trust in God and to put their faith in God. Let me give you an example of this. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? That is lament. I'm lamenting. Then he says, I remember these things and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go to the with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. That is lament. With the voice of joy and praise, I used to go to the house of God with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. And that is lament. But then he gets right to verse five and he says why are you cast down oh my soul and why are you disquieted within me hope in god for i shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance you see he complained complained lamented 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 but then at some point he got a hold of himself and he said why are you cast down oh my soul hope in god hope in god my soul 
It's okay to lament. It's okay to come before God with our humanness. As long as we acknowledge in the end that he is not to blame for whatever it is you're going through. That he is still good. As long as we wipe our tears after we've poured out our complaint and demand that our soul praises him in spite of it because he has never left us nor has he forsaken us. That's the proper way to complain before God. Amen. That's the right way to complain. God, I'm hurting, but I'm hoping. I'm grieving, but I'm glorifying. I'm painful, but I'm praiseful. I am tearful, but I'm trusting. That's the right way to complain before God. But there's another way to complain. Our text simply says, do all things without complaining that's the new king james version the the niv says do all things without grumbling the kjv says do all things without murmuring and all of these terms are different elements of the same exact sin complaining grumbling murmuring the bible warns us against it over and over again You see, grumbling isn't just our expression of dissatisfaction to God. That's okay to do. Your dissatisfaction to God is okay. But grumbling, that's not what that is. Grumbling is our expression of dissatisfaction against God. Against God. And at the end of grumbling, there is no encouragement of the soul to put your trust in God. Even after you wipe away the tears, there there is still resentment. When we're through praying, there is still a bitterness of the soul over the course your life has taken and over the course your life is presently on. When you murmur, what God hears on his end is, I know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but I don't trust that you have ordered mine correctly. You see, at its root, grumbling declares that God is not sufficiently good. That God is not sufficiently faithful or loving or wise or powerful. A murmuring spirit communicates that if God were good and faithful and loving and wise and powerful, then he would not have us in the situation that we are currently in. And when we grumble, we are passing judgment on God's sovereign reign over his created world. When we grumble, we cast doubt on the faithfulness and the providence of God in our lives. Grumbling is a very presumptuous sin where you feel like you are entitled to something more than you are getting. Grumbling is believing that you deserve better than what God has allowed in your life. In the book of Jude, grumbling and complaining is characteristic of false teachers and apostates. The Bible reads in verse 16 of the book of Jude, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. These were the apostates. They are grumblers and complainers. And in our text, complaining is characteristic of people who give Christianity a bad name. Christianity a bad name. It says, do all things without complaining Philippians chapter 2 do do all things uh, without uh, complaining and then it says uh, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, when you grumble, your light ceases to shine before the world. Your Christian light ceases to shine before the world. When you have a spirit of complaint, when all you do is just, well, why do I have to stay longer than she does? And why do you ask me to do certain things at at your job? Why do I have to do certain? Why do I have to get here? And why does this? And why does that? And why don't I have all the time off that this person have? Do you know what God is saying here? Your light ceases to shine before the world. Your witness before the world is at stake when you live a life that is full of grumbling and murmuring and complaining. A life full of complaint does not differentiate itself from the world because that's what they do. That's what they do. They complain. The world is wicked and perverse. And as Christians, we don't act like them. When you complain, you are testifying to the world hey I'm saved but I'm not enjoying my salvation I'm a Christian but I'm not happy I serve God out of duty and out of obligation but if there was no heaven and no hell I wouldn't be serving God Uh -uh. that's what your attitude is communicating I'm not serving God out of joy and out of thanksgiving I'm just here because I have to be I'm being forced to be that's not what you you're communicating that's your light before this world some people have made a grumbling a normal part of their lives they're just discontent with their home and their school and their church and their family and their relationship status and the kind of family that they grew up with and their handicaps and their illnesses and their weaknesses they are just discontent And they're always lacking something. They just always seem to come up short of the goal. Always striving but never arriving. They're just complaining and complaining and complaining. The Greek word that is used in our text for complaining is that Greek word gongusmas. And now gongusmas, it's an onomatopoeic word. Let, Let me explain with an onomatopoeic word. <laughs> if you say that three times, I, you, you've just spoken in tongues. Gongusmas, onomatopoeic word, is a word that is formed from the very sound associated with its name. We have some of those in the English language. They, they are words that are defined by their very sound. The very sound defines the word. For example, boom. When I say, whoa, that place just went boom, you understand what I mean because the very sound of it tells you it defines the word. It's an explosion. When I said, hey, click here, what does click mean? That's the sound that a keyboard makes or the sound that a pen makes. And so the very sound defines the word. That's an onomatopoeic word. And in the Greek, phonetically speaking, the sound that gongusmas makes is supposed to sound like what it sounds like to murmur before God. When you murmur, that's what God hears on his end. Every time you murmur, it's and that very sound sounds like murmur. To me, it, it would be like in the English language, it's the equivalent of like murmur. 
Right? Meh, meh, meh. And, uh, hey, uh, how are you doing? What's your family like? Meh, meh, meh. And, hey, you've got to come in early for such a meh, meh, meh. And what, uh, I need you to be an usher this Sunday. Meh, meh, meh. Hey, we've got praise team practice before sir. Meh, meh, meh. And, uh, uh, how's your husband doing? Meh, meh, meh. Right? It's just, it's just, there's just some people that have a murmur, murmur spirit about them. You know, you know some people like that. They just grumble, be, you know, murmur under their breath and everything just bothers them and everything. You know, hey, brother, you've got a sermon. And that's just the spirit behind it. Hey, brother Diaz, how's your ministry? And how's your kids? Dumb kids. And, uh, <laughs> Amen. And how's your love life? <laughs> See that that that's just the attitude. <laughs> Somebody's with me back there. <laughs> that's just the attitude that many a people have. And the Bible is very clear about how that attitude is perceived by God. Paul says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Have you ever seen a cup say to the potter, a a clay say to the potter, well, I I thought I'd be in a palace somewhere. Why am I in a garage sale? Why am I in just the the lesser pot somewhere? else? I I thought I'd be a a nice little, uh, you know, utensil of some sort. That's not what clay does. Clay just says, I just want to be used. Wherever you put me, whatever you want to have me at, wherever you want to use me, I'm just here. Whatever direction, you are the potter. If it had not been for you, I'd still be clay out somewhere. Amen. But thank God you've molded me. You have shaped me. You've given me some sort of use. So whatever you want, that's what clay does. We speak against our children when they answer back to us. And yet we do the same with our Heavenly Father. And Paul says, who are you, O men, to answer back to God? And that's the attitude that many possess in life. How come I'm not married? Why was I born so short? Or why was I born so tall? Or why was I born so big-boned? (laughs) <laughs> or handicap, or etc. Why is my family so dysfunctional? Why couldn't I be born in a wealthy home? That's not my complaint at all. Or maybe it is. It's the spirit of gongusmas. When Job struggled with his afflictions, He found it impossible not to grumble against God. He was a righteous man. He suffered greatly. He didn't like his lot in life. Many of us would read that story and think, well, Job kind of had a right to grumble. I mean, wouldn't you? He lost his family, his house, his money, his health. He lost everything, it seemed. He seemingly had a right to to complain. I mean, if you really read about it, it wasn't even the devil that brought him up. It was God. 
God brought him up when the Avengers had their meeting up there. It was like God said, have you not considered my servant Job? I have asked God many times, whenever you have your little staff meetings up there, don't bring my name up. Don't worry about me. I live anonymously. Don't, I'm just, I'll serve you out in anonymity and just don't bring my name up. See, the Lord patiently heard all of his complaints. And then finally, God answered back in the book of Job, chapter 38. And this is what he said. I mean, Job complained, 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 complained. The Lord didn't say a word. And then finally, after he heard everything, he answered back and he said, who is this? That obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Talking to Job. See, every time you complain, you are obscuring God's plans with words without knowledge. In other words, you're talking what you don't know. What you don't know. You are in way over your head. And some of us are complaining about unanswered prayers in our lives. But please be careful. We are just not wise enough to justify our complaint. You just don't know all that God knows. You understand what I'm saying? Don't you understand that God answers our prayers exactly the way we would have answered our prayers had we known everything that God knows about the future, the present, and the past, and the universe, and how to run this world. Had you known everything that God knows, He would and you would answer your own prayers the very same way that God answers your prayers. Some of you, we we were complaining about, oh God, why don't you answer this prayer? Listen, the greatest unanswered prayer in the world was in, in Gethsemane. When the Lord himself said, pass this cup from me. And God said, ah, nope. You know what? That is the best unanswered prayer in the whole wide world. Because had it not been for that unanswered prayer, none of us would be here right now. Thank God he didn't answer that prayer. Amen. And some of you are, God, why don't you answer? Why don't you do this for me? Why don't you? And and, and the Lord is saying, you don't want me to answer that prayer. Some of you are still crying over people that left you a long time ago. Over people that rejected you. And you don't even know in every rejection there is protection. Say that again. In every rejection, there is protection. Baby, you don't even know the stuff God been saving you from. You don't know the STDs you would have had. You don't even know how much you would have been down and out had you stayed. God has protected you. We obscure God's plans with words without knowledge. He went back to Job and he said, now, this this is what the Bible says. He said, now brace yourself like a man. Before he answered him, he said, brace yourself like a man. And another version says, gird up your loins like a man. You know why people would gird up their loins in the past? Because they all wore them, uh, they all wore them Victoria's Secret robes or whatnot. <laughs> and so, before, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I, 
I promise that hasn't been on my mind of late. You're just going to have to take my word for it. Amen. Anyway, he said, gird up your loins. You know why people would gird up their loins? Because they couldn't run in that thing. So they'd have to tie it up. That's what girding up their loins was. They couldn't fight in it. And that's what the Lord is saying. Before you go out into battle with me, you're about to fight me. I'm going to answer you, but this is a fight, Job. Those are fighting words. You know, you don't get to talk like that. Put your dukes up, boy, because we're about to throw hands up in this place. If you're going to complain against me in that manner, if you're going to complain against my sovereign will. Those are not just any words. Those are fighting words. So gird up your loins. And then he said, I will question you and you shall answer me. He said, you don't get to question me. I will question you and you shall answer me. And these are the questions he said. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off the earth's dimensions. Surely you know, man, God is, that is surely sarcastic. Surely you know, right? Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? And he, I mean, question after question after question. And after God's response, Job had to admit in Job 42 and verse 3, he said, You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? He said, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then in verse 6, he said, therefore, I abhor myself. I hate myself for complaining. I hate myself for bringing up accusations against your sovereign will and your goodness. I hate myself for doing it. And I repent in dust and in ashes. Oh, God, let that same spirit get a hold of your church in this day. Let that same repentant spirit get a hold of us. Let us repent in dust and ashes before you for our many complaints and our many murmurs before you as though we've forgotten your many benefits towards us as though we've forgotten that you've been a good God and a faithful God as though we've forgotten that you are the God who sustains us and keeps us ten times it was said of Israel that they tested God in the desert. The people God had chosen, led out of Egypt, saw God cause ten epic plagues against one of the most powerful humans the world had ever seen. God parted the Red Sea for them, brought them out of Egypt partly with the Egyptians' wealth, led them with a pit by, with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day, fed them manna, gave them water out of a rock, and ten times, whenever they murmured, Ten times the Bible called that they tested God in the desert. God had been so good to them. But in Exodus 14, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? 
Exodus 15, and the people complained against Moses. What shall we drink? Exodus 16, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. Exodus 17 and 2, therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Exodus 17 and 3, and the people thirsted and the people complained against one. Over and over again, the people of Israel forgot God's goodness. Forty years later, God is now providing manna in the desert and they get a craving for meat and they complain about the manna that they had. And they said, you know, we all we have is this dumb bread that always falls. We want meat. What about the meat down in Egypt? And you know what the Lord did? A journey that would only take 11 days took them 40 years. Do you know why it took them 40 years? Because they murmured against him. They were ready to go into the promised land. And they murmured. And the Lord said, you know what? Not one of you is going to enter into the land of promise. So I'm going to keep you in this desert for 40 years. Until the very last one of you of this generation dies. Your kids will go in, but you won't. I'll keep my promise to your grandchildren, but I won't let you into my promised land because you murmured against me. And now, I know what many are saying. Oh, well, preacher, but that was the Old Testament. That was the way God dealt with the people of the Old Testament. That that was nothing to that has nothing to do with us in a time of grace. I beg to differ. Be careful with this. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, the Bible says all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What things and to whom? Well, I am so glad you asked. You, all you have to do is just go back two verses before that and get the full context of who he's talking about, to whom he's talking, and what he's talking about. In verse 9 it says, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. And then the very verse before the verse I read in verse 11, verse 10 says, Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And in that very context, he says, all of these things were written as examples for us. Ladies and gentlemen, when you live your life with a complaining spirit, this is a symptom of a deeply rooted spiritual problem. And what is that problem? It is a failure to trust the goodness and the providence of God. Do all things without complaining. What is all things that Paul is referring to? Well, on the macro level, he means just that. All things. But if you want to get more specific, look at the immediate context and you get a better clue to what all things he's talking about. This is the immediate context. It said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure do all things without complaining and disputing 
the all things that he's talking about on a macro level is all things. But if you want to get more specific, Paul is talking here about the working out your salvation. Working out your salvation. See, work out, do we even know what that means? What it means is that salvation is not static or something that happened once at an altar somewhere and can easily be ignored. You know, there's so many people now that say, oh, Jesus, that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I went to a crusade somewhere and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But your life is not exhibiting the kind of working out your salvation that a saved heart and mind and soul and spirit and body should be exhibiting. Their salvation is not static. Salvation is work. You're not saved by your works, but you are saved unto works. You, you get what I'm saying? You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. Works are the evidence that you were saved in the first place. Man, because as soon as you are saved, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. Will, that is the desire. The do is the ability. God gives you a desire and an ability to work out your salvation. If you don't have a desire to live for God, you better check your salvation. Because God puts it in you automatically. This is put in you a desire to love him, a desire to serve him, a desire to come to church, a desire to pray, a desire to read your word, a desire to be more like him. You've got to work that salvation out. Salvation, baby, it's not static. Salvation is movement. You are commanded, follow peace with all men and holiness. You're commanded to follow after holiness. It's not that it's not just gonna come to you. You've gotta follow after it. You gotta study to show yourself approved. You've gotta serve. You've gotta greet each other with an holy kiss. You've gotta love one another. You've gotta do good. You've gotta bless, forgive, pray, persevere. You've gotta give. This is what working out your salvation means. Abstain from worldly lusts. Work out your salvation. And it's in that context that Paul says, now do all of that without complaining and without disputing against God. Well, why do we have to come to church every Sunday? Why do we, you know, and the Lord is saying, do it all without complaining. So what's the answer? Instead of complaint, Paul tells you just a couple of chapters later in that same book, Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 10, he says, I have learned in whatsoever state that I am to be content. Switch your complaint to contentment. To be content. He said, whoo, this verse, prosperity preachers don't like this verse. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full 
And watch this. And to be hungry. Prosperity preachers don't like that. The apostle Paul said, I, I, I know what it means to be hungry. Amen. I know what that means every day. Hungry. I don't think that's what he meant, but <laughs> y'all get it. Both to abound and to suffer need. And it's in that context that you get this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We take that verse out of context so many times. You know what that verse is saying? It's saying, I can be hungry through Christ who strengthens me. I, 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 can, I, I, can, uh, I, I can be abased through Christ who strengthens me. It, if I have Christ, he'll give me the strength to go through whatever state that I am in life. Whether that's health or sickness. Whether that's being abased or abounding. Whether I'm rich or I'm poor. Whether I'm full or I'm hungry. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will be content in whatever state that I'm in. I will be content no matter what I feel. I will be content whatever the job is. I will be content whatever my family situation is. I'll be content no matter what the bank account says. I will be content no matter what the level of talent situation is. I will be content. I'll finish. Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a, slant, uh, as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers. He was silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then Peter says that we should follow that example. In First Peter he said, for this is... For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed nor, no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. This is what he means when deceit is not found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. When he was talked about, he didn't talk back. He didn't answer back. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. He said, Lord, not my will, but thine will be done in my life. I'll never forget... Uh, I'm coming up on the anniversary of when um, my beautiful wife decided to leave home. May 5th was when I found out, Cinco de Mayo was when I found out, 2012. So I'm coming up on a decade of this. Um, I'll never forget sitting uh, just couple years later at that time we had joint custody of our boys and that was working out for us or I thought it was working out for us because I would travel during the weekends 
And so whenever I'd leave on Friday, I would drop the boys off and then I'd pick them up from school on Monday and they'd stay with me Monday uh, all the way through Thursday night, etc. We'd, we'd work it out and it was going great. But uh, on a particular birthday of mine, you know, um, I didn't live, we didn't live around family. Uh, we didn't, we lived in Arizona. My family was back in New York. And um, we we didn't I didn't really have many family or anyone on a particular birthday. I took my boys out to dinner to Fogo de Chao. I'll never forget that was um, that was what they wanted. It was my birthday. (laughs) But I was taking them out on my birthday. I promise you, as soon as they get a job. I got all sorts of receipts. <laughs> None of y'all are laughing right now. So, um, I was sitting there on my birthday and my son, Caleb, out of nowhere, we weren't even discussing the subject. We were just having a good time and eating. And uh, my son, Caleb, made a statement that absolutely changed my life. He made a statement to me that I had no idea what they were going through on the other side when I would drop them off. He made a statement. Their mother was was struggling, struggling mightily at the time. I did not know that. I had not seen her. We did not. We hardly communicated outside of, you know, the boy's situation. And, uh, I I did not know what that lifestyle was on the other side. And my boys had never brought it up. On this night, he made a statement. Elder, I knew. I I sat there and I said, "I, I just know these boys can't live there anymore. And I said, God, help me. But I need to get gain full custody of my boys. I need to save them. And so I, I was fighting back tears from what he was telling me at, at, at that table. Now, Caleb has always been a daddy's boy. He's, I mean, we're, we're like this. That's my favorite. <laughs> and then Micah has always been a mama's boy. Like... The dude didn't even smile at me until he was three. I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. I can tell you the very day when he first smiled at me. And he had a mustache. So my fave talked to me and he said, you know, all the things that he said. And I said, you know, I've got to confirm this. Because if global pandemic affirms what his brother is saying, yes, I just called him global pandemic, then this is legitimate. So I looked over and I said, Micah, now you've got to understand, they, they, they were kids. They were kids. About, I'd say about nine and six at the time. And I looked over at Micah and I said, Micah, is this true? Now, Micah, you've got to understand, Micah, mama's boy, he would not do anything, anything 
to hurt his mother. But at that table, I remember he looked over at me and he looked at his brother and then he put his head down. And he didn't say anything for about 20 seconds. And it was just an awkward silence. He would not answer. And then finally he went, as that, it's true. And my heart was shattered. I remember dropping or uh, putting my boys to sleep that night in, in their room. And uh, we had our nightly devotional and I prayed with them. And, you know, they said happy birthday and whatnot. And, and uh, then I went back to my room and I wept all night long. I said, oh, God, help me with this. So I, I remember the next day, the very next day, I dropped them off at school. And I went over and I started Googling and I started, uh, you know, I started researching. I went and I grabbed every book that I could. And I said, man, I, ha I don't know if I'm going to win. I don't know if I could do this. But I have to do something to get my boys in my house full time. There's no way. So I started doing all the work. I had absolutely no money to hire a lawyer. I, I mean, all my money was gone. And I said, there's, there's no way I could do this. So I try to do all this stuff on my own. So I did. I researched. I went. I, I filled out the proper paperwork at the courts. I went before. I, and then I counseled with a lady. And uh, she was one of the toughest lawyers in, uh, in the state. She had actually worked for the state. And, and so I talked to her and she counseled me uh, for a couple hundred dollars for 15 minutes, literally 15 minutes of, you know, uh, counsel. And, and so I, I gave her a couple hundred dollars. And this is what she told me as I was sitting in that office. She said, I've heard everything you've got to say. And she said, and, and uh, trust me, this is so unfortunate. And she said, you are right in everything you say but she said i've, I've got to be honest with you i've worked for the state and i know how that works and it, she said you have no chance you are a father you are a man and you have no chance the law will always go for the mother in this case and it will make a way for that mother to always have some sort of custody so there is you don't you don't have enough evidence you don't have enough this you don't have enough that she he said she she said all you have to, all that has to happen is you know if she just bursts out one tear that's all that has to happen you're not getting anything I, I, I got out of there and I was broken, but I said, Oh God, I know what I felt and uh, Lord, I'm going to go through with this anyway. So I did. The night before, uh, the court appearance, I remember sitting with my boys in nightly devotional and I sat with them and I, right before I had not told them what my plans were. And so that night before we went to bed and, uh, after I had, finished giving them a bible story of some sort i remember uh, i talked to them and i said boys um before we pray um i gotta tell you something uh, tomorrow i want you to pray over me because tomorrow i'm going to the courts 
And I will be asking for full custody of the two of you in the courts. And so I was so nervous. I didn't know what their reaction was going to be. And I didn't know how to tell them. But I, I said, I'm going to be asking for full custody of the two of you uh, tomorrow in the courts. So let's pray about that. I'm going to tell you, that room got so awkwardly quiet that you can hear a mosquito sneeze. It was, it was awful. I thought to myself, oh Lord, what am I doing? If my boys don't even, you know, and so we prayed and I was so nervous. I remember coming into that courtroom. I didn't know protocol. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what, when it was my turn to speak. I didn't know anything. And then I, I got in a little early. And so when I sat there, I looked over on the other side and here is a, the attorney that they had hired. I made the mistake of looking at his little uh, he had a, a little deal with his name on it and I googled him right quick I made that mistake he was one of the highest lawyers in all of Maricopa County and I mean the first guy to come up on all the listings and all the stuff and I said oh lord what am I up against and he had I mean his table was full of folders up to here I'm like was I a was I a, ma a mafia guy in a past life that I don't know about I mean I killed a couple of my sister's Barbies Hope she's not looking. I, I had I didn't know, and uh, I was nervous. When it was my turn to speak, you hear my voice. You know, I I'm I'm a pretty confident guy and stuff. But when it was my turn to speak in that courtroom, my hands started shaking. My voice went from tenor to soprano in less than a second. I don't know what came out of it. When that judge looked at me and asked me to state my name or whatever he said, I said, hee hee hee. That's all that came out. <laughs> you like that one, huh? My, my knees were knocking. My heart was accelerating. I, I just, I was perspirating. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the wrong place. And, uh, I'm going to tell you, as that thing went on, and then I, I kept hearing stuff and stuff and, and, uh, and fabricated stuff that I had no idea about. And finally, I'm going to tell you, it was like the angel of the Lord came into that courtroom because my knees stopped shaking and my hand got a hold of itself and my voice came back. And I remember I stood up straight and I told my truth. I sat there, I stood there and I told everything there is to tell about anything there was to tell. And I said, this is what it is. I said, I am a righteous man. I said, listen, I'm not perfect, but I am a man of God. And you can look at my track record, look at anything. I said, you can interview my own sons, whatever you want to do. But this, this and this and this is what happened. And that's what I stated for the court. And, uh. When it was all said and done, long story short, there was no mediator. He didn't send us to work it out or do this or do that. And you know, that usually is a prolonged process. That very day, judge said, I will award full custody to Mr. Diaz.
that very day. As I was leaving the courtroom, the lawyer on the other side who had just lost just came and shook my hand and said, I think that was the right decision. Moved out. When I got home, I thought to myself, oh, you know, that was, that was tough, but I think this one's going to be tougher. I don't know how my kids are going to respond to this. So uh, shortly after I was sitting at my kitchen counter uh, on a stool at my kitchen counter, when my first son walked in, Caleb, my favorite, walked in. (laughs) He walked in and the very first things out of his mouth were that what happened in court today. I thought, man, I thought we were going to ease this conversation in at dinner at some point but no he said what happened in court today and i i looked over it and i could barely get the words out but i said uh the the judge awarded you guys to me and he took his backpack and he started going up those stairs and as he's going up those stairs i heard him whisper yes yes i thought all right That's why you're the only one in my will. (laughs) And then the door opened up again and here comes global pandemic. Walked in, said, same exact thing that what happened in court today. And this time, I said, oh, God. I said, Micah, um, you're going to be living with me now. I've got full custody of you two. And and I went to say something. He wasn't hearing it. Dude grabbed his backpack and started going up those stairs. And as he's going up those stairs, I also heard him. And he whispered something. And this is what he whispered. Yes. Pastor, one of the greatest gifts that God has given me in the midst of all the pain and trouble and anguish of of that season in my life was that day, that moment. Because right when they both said yes, Micah went upstairs and he got to his room and I could hear the whole thing, but they didn't, he didn't know I could hear it. He went and he closed the door behind him in the room. And they got in the room. And as soon as he goes in, he says to Caleb, work on live with dad. And I hear them and they're jumping. I think it was on the bed. They're jumping on the bed and they're hugging each other. At least I won't think they were hugging each other. And they were doing all sorts of, and they were just so ecstatic. That they were going to live with their father. I'll never forget that day. I remember I put my face in my arm. On the counter. And I just began to bawl. I was just. Just such a mixture of emotions. 
I was so happy and so thankful and, and so content. I, I wish that I could stand before you and tell you that you ought to follow my example as a man who never complained against God. Oh, but that's far from the truth. It seemed like every single day up to that point, I would sit before the Lord and I would cry before him. And I would say things like, I've never backslid in my life. I've always served you. My life has been for you. Why me? Why do I go through this? You know, you get so entitled. Lord, and I just don't do this. And I don't even wear shorts. I don't want to cause women to faint all over the... just. My legs are a weapon. And I felt the Holy Spirit talk to me on that day while I was crying. And he said, you have complained and complained and murmured and talked against me. You didn't know that through it all, I was giving you a gift I don't give to very many people. You know what that gift was? It was the gift of a hundred percent influence on your boys. It cost you a wife and it's going to cost you a whole lot of pain and loneliness at times. But I've given you a gift. It's the gift of influence. It's the gift of waking up to your children and being the one, the only one that can speak to them and say things like, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of the sinner, who sitteth not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. I've given you a gift. Three weeks ago, the Lord reminded me about this, brought it to my attention. When I was sitting in the audience in Durham, North Carolina, listening to my boy preach at a district youth rally. And all I could do was tears just flowing. And he said, was it worth it now? Look back over your life. Was I not working it for your good? Look back over your life. Was I not behind the scenes working it all out while you were trembling and while you were crying and weeping and hurting and painful? Was I not ordering all in my providence? Was I not putting all the pieces together? Was I not putting it all? And I could see my boy and people shouting and crying and young people coming and boohooing. And I thought to myself, oh God, I would do it all over again just the very way that it happened 
As long as I could see my children saved. As long as I could see my children. Thank you, Lord, for every valley. Thank you, Lord, for every situation. And now I can stand here and tell you I am content in whatsoever state that I am in. Whether I am abased or I abound. Whether I'm full or I'm hungry. Whether I have anything or I have nothing. I am content. I will not complain lift your hands all over this building right now come on all over this building before the Lord there's some people right now you've been going through some things that you've been asking God about and you've been saying oh God why me and why this situation and why and why and God is saying don't you complain I've got plans that you don't even know about. I'm working it out for your good. I'm doing things in the background that you don't even understand. I've got every step of yours ordered. Your life is in my hands. You are clay. I am the potter. Do you trust me? Do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me with your heart? Do you trust me with your emotions? Do you trust me? Right now, God is working it on your behalf. You don't even know about it. He's coming at it. It's a curveball. You don't even know how he's coming about it but God is working it all for your good do not complain do not complain be content in whatsoever state that you are in give thanks this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus I don't know why you're sick I don't know why you go through what you go through I don't know why it hurts so much I don't know but God's got it under control Don't complain. Be content. Don't complain. Be content. This altar's open here. Would you come before the Lord and would you say, I'm so sorry. There's some things I've said and there's some attitudes I've had against my life and what I've done and I've complained so very much. Help me to be content. Help me to be content. Help me to understand that your will is what matters in my life. Wherever I am, it's not how I envisioned it, but I'm not the architect of my ways. It's not how I envisioned it, but I'm not the one who has the last say. I will trust your every word. I will trust. You've got a plan. You've got a plan. You've got a plan.